Uh, we're tired. We're tired of uh, something other than Jesus um, uh, taking over Christmas. And so we're this idea that we want to die to consumerism but be alive to Christ at the Christmas season, right? And so the idea that we've talked about is, then what does that look like for us? And and uh, and so we, um, even this year, we're taking up this year-end offering, right? Year-end offering we're taking up next weekend. And we've, if you're new to Vintage and just first time back for a while, the idea of, for our year-end offering is that we're taking up a large gift and then we're giving it all away. That's the idea. But basically, as a as a church, kind of modeling this whole idea of Advent conspiracies, we we want to we want to take back this this season. We take back Christmas, and we want to do that very simply by saying, "Listen, we love giving gifts, right?" And we love, and we love receiving gifts. It's, it's fine, right? But the idea is that the motivation of our heart is that we want to take a huge chunk, maybe a, a, a huge portion to say, we just want to give it away. We want to find those people that are in need, those places that have needs. So we're going to, we're giving into three things. Number one, we love church planting. So we're investing into Sojourn Church, which is, uh, in East Cobb, a part of our network of churches. We're going to invest into Karube Ministries, which is that group of ministries that we're involved with in India. Uh, we're going to be visiting them actually in April. And then we obviously have what we're calling the Jubilee Gift. And I'm going to spend some time, a fair amount of time talking about that this morning. But Jubilee Gift is simple. There are people inside of our body who have need. And so we want to take Christmas and we want to bless y'all. We want to come alongside of y'all uh, who have needs, who are in some level of poverty. And I say poverty as in whether, you know what I mean, like some level of need. This is real and authentic need for you. We want to come alongside and say, hey, let us pay this bill. Let us help you. Let's come alongside of you and help you right where you are. And so this idea then for, for the Advent Conspiracy that you just read, you can go to adventconspiracy.org. Listen, people all the time talk about, we just, you know, we don't want consumerism to steal Christmas, right? And then we, and then we, we say that with our lips, but then we feel guilty because we, with our actions, do something different. But it was really cool if you, I was watching like the usuals, right? I watched, uh, uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Remember that? Have you watched, like, really? Like, with your spiritual eyes, watched that in a while? Do you recognize when you watch it, it's actually the gospel, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you watch that? You have your unsaved Grinch with a little bitty small heart, right? Who just gets so tired of the reality of, of Christmas because he doesn't really understand what it's about. And in Whoville, man, consumerism, yes, it's kind of like us. It's kind of taken over. But all of a sudden you take consumerism out. What do they do? They come around together in one. And all of a sudden the star kind of rises. Do you know there's a star at Christmas? His name's Jesus, right? It points right down on him. It's all, it gets bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden do you realize he gets saved? All of a sudden, the Grinch's heart goes from this small to three times larger. Who can do that but Jesus? It's this gospel message to how the Grinch stole Christmas. Dying to consumerism. Let your kids watch that one. All right? That's what it's about. And so as we're stepping into, into the season, right, and to, you know, Jesus is the reason for the season, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I get that. It's great. But the idea for us is that we're stepping in with this theme of generous living. That's the, that's kind of the model, the idea of generous living. Talking about the last couple of weeks, we, we, uh, and we're talking about this week again, and then next week and taking up our year-end offering of expressing generous living, right? Generosity, taking our, taking and being generous. And so what I want to do is this. As we, as we pass the baskets down for our offering this morning, I want you to use this physical basket that you passed down this morning as a remembrance, right? Something holding physical saying, Jesus, I am giving of myself, right? That's what Christmas is about. God, as, I, as I'm giving this, Lord, it's showing where my heart is. That's the idea of our offering, our tithe and our offering. It exposes our heart. Because God, if I can freely give, then it means money has not taken an improper place in my heart. If I give in fear, then I'm missing the point because God, you say you'll provide all of my needs. So as we take up our offering this morning, go ahead and pass the baskets back down. That's what I'm asking you of. Simply asking as we take up our offering this morning, that you would remember, Jesus, it's about me giving of myself, recognizing that all I have actually belongs to you. And Lord, I step into this season as I pass this offering basket. God, may it be a reminder for me that my money doesn't actually belong to me, doesn't belong to the church either, but it belongs to you. And that I have a responsibility with what I do with it, specifically even as it relates to the season that we find ourselves in. Okay, so let's allow that 
heavy, weighty conviction to lie on you. No, seriously. If you're a first-time guest, I don't want your money. Just give me your, your uh, Connect card, and I'll shoot you an email this week and say thanks for being here. All right. Well, hey, we're in this season of generous living. Next week, we're taking up our offering, okay? So I encourage you. Uh, and it's obviously our offering is above and beyond the offering we give to the church, right? So above and beyond the tithe, the offering. So whatever, you, and you're praying this week, God, what does that look like? And you're going to be obedient to that. Because we want to be a people who embrace generous living. Last week, we, we heard Jacoby. Jacoby's right over here. We heard his story last week, right? We heard his story of, 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 of where he was, right? He was in a place of great need. He was, he was kind of holding that in. He finally shared that. Tyler Dameron, you know, being the wise man that he is, went straight to his mom, right? Because he knows his mom go straight to his dad, right? And then she can do things that he, she, he can't do, all this kind of stuff, right? So Tyler went to the mom, and mom talked to dad, and dad, they all of a sudden, as a family, kind of moved together. And long story short, Jacoby, Jacoby went, went to their house, you know? He ended up coming to Vintage, came to, they came to the best small group in the history of the world, our small group, my small group, mine and Randall's, right? And he stood there that day, and he, last week he said, listen, he said, my name's Jacoby, I'm black, now work it, now work it Bojangles. And he said, but because of the work of generosity, he didn't use that word, I'm putting words in your mouth, Jacoby, but because of the generosity of the Dameron's coming along, side and just loving on him, he says, my name's Jacoby, I'm black, I work at Bojangles, and I am now a son of God. How powerful is that testimony, right? Because what all the Dameron's were doing is they were living a life of generosity. Generosity, listen, generosity is like a, it's just a, it's a lifestyle, right? It's a lifestyle of those who, who recognize with their time, their money, their energy, and their resources, they're giving away to those who need them more, right? So this generosity, generous living, expression of generosity, this idea of, God, you've given me this stuff, and I'm going to give it away. For the Damrons, listen, they would sit there and say, it wasn't an act of charity. It was not an act of charity, Sometimes we confuse the difference between of generosity and charity. See, charity is something that I do one time of giving something away, and I'm going, yay, you know, good job, little buddy. What's the way to give, right? And we walk away feeling really good about ourselves. That's charity. Generosity and a lifestyle of generosity, it's a natural outflow of who we are. And the other way of, call, if, the other way of saying that is simply Christ follower. Christ follower. Generous living is another way of naming a Christ follower, right? The Damrons, listen, if you, if you don't know, let me tell you, they're not rich. They don't have abundance of resources. They don't have a big, massive house where Jacoby could go some other side and get lost in, right? They have a just a just an average house with an average income, right? So that in living life and bringing someone else into the home, it actually cost them something. But they didn't even think about that. That would never have crossed their minds. In fact, Jacoby said last week that he said, "Listen, listen, that is that time, that moment, right, when the Damrons were leaving to go out of town. You remember this part?" And he said, and he said, well, you know, I was like, oh, well, this is, they're going to have a conversation with me. And he's thinking, yeah, it's time to kick the black kid out, right? You can't trust a black kid in the house when you leave and go out of town, right? And so he said, all of a sudden, they sit him down and say, Jacoby, our house belongs to you. And everything in it, you have free reign. Remember he said it was so funny. It's like, I went, went around looking for video cameras to see if they were watching me, right? I mean, how funny was that? It's like, it's like, it's true. It's like, this, this, this is too good to be true. It's too good to be true. But it's not. And if you ask Rhonda, why, you know, what compelled you to do this? And she would honestly go, ah, it was just the right thing to do. Which means this. And I want you to hear this. Life of generosity, this generous living, became such a natural component of her life that she just thinks it was the right thing to do. She didn't go, oh, I'm helping out the black kid from Bojangles. No, that's not what she said. She said, I'm taking care of a child of God. Doesn't see color, doesn't see anything about him, except he's just a child of God. And of course I would bring him in. Why wouldn't I? It's, just, it's the right thing to do. It's what Christ followers are called to do. So of course I'll do that. Generous living is the response of every Christ follower, at least it should be. It should become such a natural component of our life, that it just flows naturally from us. That I, of course, if I see someone, I would be the Good Samaritan. 
and I would stop and I would give of myself to the point of costing me my time, my money, my energy, and my resources, right? And I, I shot an email back and forth with somebody this week, and they kind of described this generous living in the workplace, in the workplace, right? A lot of us don't think of ministry in the workplace, but this is what this person said in their email to me about, about living generously in the workplace. It says this, my heart breaks. I love when people's sentences start with that. My heart breaks for the employees that I work with. They are living in poverty. Most of the women have several children and are not married, riding the bus for an hour or longer just to get to work, and they barely make minimum wage. Most of them claim to be Christians but have no idea who Jesus is. My passion is to see people saved, be set free and healed from past wounds, to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to be filled with fire, living out the destiny and the calling and fleshing out the gifts that God has placed in them when he created them just to know who they are in Christ and how much he loves them. Wow. This person has a nine-to-five job, just like most of us in this room. Have a nine-to-five job. In that nine-to-five job, they make a paycheck. They, they uh, live by um, the, the rules of their boss. They have all sorts of things they have to be doing and deadlines to meet and all this kind of stuff. And you know what drives them every day? My heart breaks for the employees that I work with. Oh, my gosh. Listen, I don't know if you work in a place that have people who are in physical poverty, but I'll tell you one thing for for sure, you work in a place that have people who are in spiritual poverty, people who don't know Christ, people who are living in a place of brokenness and despair, whatever it may be, right? And the idea here is that in, the, in this natural, out, this natural, natural, natural outflow of being a Christ follower, there's to be such a generosity in living that when we live, yes, I, I go and I work for the man, but I'm not bound by the man by God. I am bound by God and the kingdom of God, and I will serve him nine to five or eight to seven, how long I'm working to be Jesus and to be the light of the world in that place that I'm called. Why? Because that's what it means to generously live in a context of living generously, generosity, right? To be a Christ follower. It's just a natural outflow of your life. Equals Christ follower or Christian, lover of Jesus, whatever you describe yourself as, as following Jesus. That's what we're talking about. Generous living that affects our time, it affects our money, our energy, and our resources. So, the thing I want you to recognize, let me just go ahead and say this this morning. I'm going to give you, I'm going to talk for a long time. So if you have to leave at a certain time, I'm going to be done at about 10 till. So I got about 50 minutes, okay? I just want you to go ahead and know that in advance. Maybe yeah, about 50, 40, 45 minutes. I'm letting you know in advance. I'm talking for a long time. Here's the reason. I've heard very clearly from the Lord this week. Like, I always feel like I hear from the Lord a little bit, but when I speak and there's that, oh, Lord, I hope you bless this. This week I've come bearing something heavy on me to the point I had to ask the Lord to help me temper the emotions and sharing because it was so profound in me, so clearly being from him. Okay, so I'm just giving you a heads up. If you have to leave early, I'm asking if you're part of the family at Vintage to listen to the podcast. It is imperative that you hear what we're about to talk about. Here's the reason, because God spoke clearly of why revivals have died out throughout history of church and what the end revival, the end times is going to look like and what it looks like for us to be a part of it as the church of God. All right, that's a little teaser to keep you awake. All right, here we go. So. This gener- and it all kind of, all kind of, it kind of all connects to this generous living, this, fr- this, this, this verbiage that I'm using, okay? So I want you to take notes today. I'm going to give you about 45 points to write down, not that many, like 12 of them, but I want you to write all of them down, okay? So take a minute, I'll just do the, like the kind of the, fill, the filler right here, the fill, this is called filler, giving you a time so you're not distracting me by your good looks, I mean by writing, pulling your pen out and stuff. No, seriously, pull a pen out, pull a pad of paper out, I want you to write down the verses I'm going to talk about, I'm going to, I want you to write down the, the, um, specific points I'm going to give you. and I want you to go back and study these, read them. I want you to read them for yourself. I want you to ask God to confirm this. If some prophet ever tells you he's heard from the Lord, they'll say it the Lord. You listen to him. You hold it in front of you. You give it back to Jesus and say, is he right? Don't just believe what anybody says, okay? So I'm telling you I heard from the Lord. You see if I'm right. Take it, hold it up to the Lord and say, God, is he right? That's, that's, that, that's wisdom, okay? So I think I've heard from the Lord. And you can see if I have. 
I mean, I have and all, but no, I'm just kidding. You go see if I have, okay? All right. So, the, this, this, idea, this idea of generous lifestyle, generous living, uh, I think if you've ever read your Bible, you know, that, that's the heartbeat of God. I mean, talk about generosity. I mean, God, he leaves heaven to come to uh, something not quite as high as heaven. We call it earth, right? A little bit higher than hell almost. No, seriously, it's like comparison is overwhelming, right? And he decides it's a good, God, Father, and Jesus decides it's a good idea to send them to a birth canal, to a dirty stable where cows don't, aren't holding their business back because it's Jesus, right? It was not quite, if you've ever been to a pregnancy or been there, it's not quite, oh, silent night, whatever, right? This is like a real, authentic, just earthy thing in the moment, right? We have it all going on, and Jesus comes, right? And he's just being generous in this Why He's going to come and live his life, and then the ultimate gift of generosity is going to die on the cross. Why? So that he could conquer sin, so that he could rescind back to the Father and give us his Holy Spirit. It's pretty amazing, right? So the idea of God, he's a very generous God. Very generous in who he is. But the generous lifestyle that I want us to see, I want to take us all the way back to the Old Testament. I want to take us all the way back to Leviticus 25. I'm not going to read that one. And Deuteronomy 15, I'm going to read that one, okay? It goes Genesis, or Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, right? Numbers and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. Taking you all the way back there, we're going to get the picture of God as a generous God. Listen, 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 who expects. Everybody say expects expects, as in God expects. How many of you have expectations on your children of how they're going to act and respond to you? Everyone raise your hand who has children because you do. Father God has expectations on his children of how they're going to respond and how they're going to act. Right here, okay? So Deuteronomy 15, God implements the sabbatical year in the year of Jubilee. The sabbatical year in the year of Jubilee. I'm not going to dive into Deuteronomy 15 this morning. I'll read the whole thing. But basically what's happening is this. He's implementing this this Jubilee year where every seven years, every seven years was the year of release when all debts were canceled. All debts, all debts were canceled. And during this season, those who had previously had to sell their land to survive, right, or had to mortgage their land or who literally sold themselves, they sold their body, their personhood, themselves into slavery for payment of a loan, All of them in that year were to be set free from every debt, free from slavery. And listen to this. And all the land that they had to sell off was given back to them. Everyone who foreclosed on their home was given back to them. Right? Profound message. It's unbelievable reality, right? Everyone's set free. You get the picture. It makes sense, doesn't it? Everyone is carrying it. How many of you carry debt? You know what debt is. All of a sudden, every seven years, every debt was canceled. And not only was every debt canceled, but when you were set free from slavery, they didn't just go, all right, there you go, bye, bye, see ya, right? No, they would do this. Hey, take part of our flock. Take these resources. Take our money. That was the command of God. If you go back and read it. They were literally commanded by God to give a portion of their flock to the slave who was being set free. And they were given the deed back to their land. Which you have to recognize, again, this is just for historic sake, that for the Jews, land represented everything. It represented personhood. It represented, it represented their familyhood. Right? Family. It was how they made money and it was their identity, right? It's where they got their identity. They, like, think about it. When, when God sent the, the, the tribes out into the promised land, what did he give them? What was their inheritance? Land. Only the Levites didn't get land. And scripture tells us, it says, it says, I will be your portion. Which basically he's almost making a comparison of himself to land for them. It's powerful, right? It's identity. So you've got to recognize we're talking about land here. It's talking about identity, who they are. And so he comes along and says, now listen, every seven years, every one of you who have debt, it's canceled. It's canceled. You've heard that phrase in Scripture, don't harbor, don't harbor bitterness, don't harbor wickedness in your heart, don't harbor wickedness in your heart. It was specifically related to someone who had had a, had, had a, um, a loan given out. They gave a loan out to somebody within the sixth year, knowing the person couldn't repay it to the eight eighth year, knowing that their loan they just gave out was actually going to be canceled when they gave it. 
and says, don't harbor wickedness in your heart with that evil thought that you're not going to get your loan paid back. Ouch, right? Powerful stuff. I mean, God, this is the economy of, of God's kingdom in the moment, right? And there are three things I want to name. I'm going to make some statements here. I want you to recognize I'm not making political statements and things I'm about to say. I'm simply making kingdom statements, okay? I want you to know that up front because I'm going to use some phraseology we use in political world today. Number one. What's the first thing that we learn in all this? Number one is that God owns all things. God owns all things. If a person has the ability to command someone else to give something away, it means that person owns it. Right? It means that person owns it. No human actually, no human being actually has ownership of anything that they possess. God simply lends it to us in our season of life. Everything that you possess has simply been loaned to you. So, Randy, if right now, if I said, hey, bro, I want you to take the keys to my car, right? This is my car, and I'm giving it to you. Freely use it. Enjoy my car, right? It's going to be great. I said, but here's the deal with that. i got a caveat. Just make sure that every single person who ever asks you for a ride you give them one because there's a there's a there's a responsibility that goes with this, right? There's a responsibility. So every person needs a ride. You're going to give them a ride. Every person who, who needs to borrow your car, belongs nothing else gets in the way, they can borrow your car. Why? Well, because it belongs to me. That's what, that's my desire. I'm giving it to you. I'm lending it to you. But here's the thing about God's cars. God's cars never die. There's no lemons in God's car, right? So God's car lasts for eternity. Therefore, it's always been given new, been given being given to someone else. Continually again and again and again. Do you see what I'm getting at? Every resource in the earth ultimately belongs to God. And if we have it, even if we work hard to attain it, it's simply because God gave you the ability to work, according to Deuteronomy 8. And he's given you the ability to work, and he's given it to you with a responsibility to use it for other people. Long story short, you don't own anything. It belongs to God. He's making that point every seven years just to remind you of that. Give back everything. And give dignity to people by giving them their identity back. Right? Number two. Number two, your jubilee is to ensure equality among God's people. To ensure equality among God's people. So if there's no human being who actually has ownership of anything, if God owns it and simply allows allows us to use it for a time, then the year of jubilee was enacted so that no one person, specifically a wealthy landowner, could accumulate too much and enslave a population by having a monopoly. Right? This extreme capitalism is not ultimately God's heart. Ultimately is what he's getting at. Because there's always a, there's always the haves and there's always the have-nots. And as much as you like to think that, that if the have-nots work really hard, they can make it up to here, history will tell you they never have. What God says, his kingdom plan of the economy is very simple. The year of Jubilee, so there's actually equal opportunity for people who are the have-nots to be given back their dignity, being given back resources, so that they can actually rise up from this place and have a place to survive and thrive. Now, I'm not talking communism. I'm not saying everyone's equal. I mean equality in the sense of having equal opportunity to thrive. Yes, there will still be private property owned, still be people who probably have more, and God's fine with that. As long as the have-nots are able to come up to this level and actually not just survive and get by, but actually thrive in life with dignity, right? Basically what he's saying in this ensuring equality among God's people, right, is God is helping those who literally don't have the ability to help themselves. Because how many of you recognize that the have-nots are simply, everybody's one decision away from being a have-not? We're not better because we're the haves. In fact, no, what we have is the haves have a greater responsibility. Why? Because you're actually carrying more of God's stuff that carries responsibility with it. Everything you own comes with a level of responsibility in the eyes of God. Everything that you have. I'm just telling you what the Bible says, okay? Don't get mad at me. Number three. Number three, the year Jubilee prevented permanent indebtedness and servitude. Basically, it broke the back of slavery. 
broke the back of slavery, right? By enabling people to avoid permanent and hopeless poverty, by coming alongside and, ser- and serving them, by helping them, by saying, here's, here are part of my resources. Here's part of what I own. It actually belongs to God, and he wants me to give it to you because we're all part of the same family. Timmy Hutchins one time, just kind of put perspective on this. I'll never forget this. Timmy's so mad that it was so clarifying at the same time. She's a missionary. Everybody knows missionaries don't have any money, right? And so she came home. We went out to, we went to dinner. This is when I lived in Athens. And I said, let me pick up the bill. She's like, no, 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 no. I'll care. I'll take care of it. I looked at her and said, you're a stinking missionary. How guilty am I going to feel? I don't want to pay for your meal, but I feel like I'm supposed to, right? Kind of one of those things. She looked at me. She's like, it's the same dad. He all gives us money. I'm just using dad's money. And I went, oh. I said, yeah, yeah, you can borrow my meals then, dad. It's dad's money. It's the idea, right? It's all dad's money. We're just, we have a responsibility of sharing it. This is the idea of the year, year of Jubilee, right? So he, he says, this is my, this is my plan. And here's the point. The year, everybody hear this. Let's, let's write this down. The year of Jubilee was God's ideal. His ideal scenario, his ideal, his ideal for his people, that they're living in this every seven years, having their debt relieved, right? Everybody who's lost identity, having their identity and their dignity restored to them by giving opportunity and giving them land again, right? This was his ideal. This is what he planned in verse 4 of Deuteronomy 15. is beautiful. It basically says, in verse 4, it says, says, There will be no poor among them, since the Lord will surely bless them. Don't you love that? Deuteronomy 15, verse 4. You can write it down. No poor. Just write that down. 15, no poor. Go read it for yourself sometime this week. No poor. Be no poor among them since the Lord will surely bless them if they obey all God's commands. It's this incredible piece. They will surely, there'll be no poor among you for God will surely continue to bless all of you if you obey my commands, what's his command? The year of Jubilee. Sabbatical year. Obeying his commands. It's radical generosity, right? Generous living. Generous living. Therefore, as we look at Deuteronomy 15, I want you to know that we see, we see two things. Two things. Number one, in verse four, we see an idealistic statement of God's demand. An idealistic, it's the ideal that God has for his people, an idealistic command for God's people. The second thing that we see is a realistic reference to Israel's sinful performance. We see a realistic reference to Israel's sinful performance. Basically, we see God's ideal, and we see people never actually, not fleshing this out, not living in obedience. This is what I want you to recognize. The people of God never actually adopted the command of God from the year of Jubilee as a command. It was never fleshed out. It was never actually actualized in the people of God in Israel. Never actualized. They never actually did. There were seasons, there were moments they would adopt certain parts of it. But as it relates to an actual uh, ideal that they embraced as an entire people, they never actually fleshed it out. And we actually see... God naming that just seven verses later in verse 10 and 11, which I'll which will be on the screen. God says this, give generously to him, poor and needy is what he's talking about. That's the context. Give generously to the poor and needy and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and everything you put your hand to. Verse 11, there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and needy in your land. Verse 4, God's having a conflict with himself, right? He's contradicting himself. Oh, no, the Bible's not inerrant. What do we do? No, he's coming in verse 4 saying, this is my ideal. But I know because you are a sinful man, you don't have the ability to actually flesh this out. So I'm telling you in verse 11, there's always going to be poor among you. You don't have the ability, you don't have the power to actually fulfill this command that I'm giving you. So he gives it, goes, goes ahead and references that. Just seven verses later, there'll be no poor among you if you obey my commands, but I know that you're not going to, therefore there will always be poor in your land, and you're going to have to be compassionate and without a grudging heart, open-handed to those that are in need. It's crazy stuff, right? So we're about to shift gears now. Not to shift gears. This is where it gets really good, because I think it does. 
Here's a question for you. Do you know where the do you know the moment in history where the people of God most closely resembled and fleshed out the truth of the year of Jubilee? Someone shout it out. Yes. You said first church, you said Acts. Yes. Give them a round of applause, right? The clearest expression in all the scripture of the fleshing out of the year of Jubilee is Acts chapter 2 through Acts chapter 7. Have your Bibles. You can turn there. We're going to actually go read these. Acts chapter 2 is where we get our, if you're new to vintage, that's where we get our namesake at vintage 242, Acts 242. Okay, you can read along on the screen with me. I want you to, I'm going to read some of these things. I want you just to kind of allow these to sink in. I want you to recognize this, that, that when, when we read this language, right, when we read the language of Acts 2.42 and Acts, uh, uh, three, Acts, yeah, Acts uh, 3 here in a few minutes and we go into Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5, 6, and 7, when you see these level of generosity and you talk about this, the, the language here, I want you to recognize that the hearers, those who were Jews, would have directly related and connected this to the year of Jubilee. The language that they use is the same language. You're going to see it here in a second, okay? Acts chapter 2.42. They, church of the people of God, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. I'll read that again because we don't usually read that verse, and we actually kind of skip over that. We like the wonders and the miracles part. The other part we don't really like. All the believers, let's focus on that for a second. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he or she had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added their number daily. Those who were being saved, go to chapter 4, verse 32 to 37. It says all this, it's one page over. All the believers were one in heart and one in mind. No one claimed that any of his or her possessions was his or her own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Um, yeah, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and much grace was upon them. The Holy Spirit was upon them. There was no, there were, listen, there were no needy persons among them. Do you remember that from the year of Jubilee? There shall be no needy or poor among you. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he or she had need. There was Joseph. We know him as Barnabas. He sold a field. He owned, and he brought the money, and he put it at the apostles' feet. He, brought, he sold it, brought the money, and laid it. At the apostles' feet. Does this not just reek of generosity? I mean, this is like, this is the year of Jubilee in the moment, right? This is the expression of it in the moment, right? Some theologians, some theologians will say that this expression of church was something that was not sustainable. That was a, that was for a, just a unique moment in time, right? There's lots of things theologians say was just this for the, for the early church, right? This is one of those things. It was just a unique moment of time, and we don't have to worry about fulfilling it today, right? Almost the idea of it was too idealistic, right? That it just, there's no way it was too good to be true, it was not realistic, and that it was not attainable, right? And so what they're doing in that moment, they, they're, they're running the risk that all of us do is they're basing their theology on their experience, There's no way that this is realistic anymore because my experience tells me so. Do you know that any person has ever written a book where they are trying to get to the historical Jesus, they're all very different, and they're naming the Jesus after the Jesus they've learned about in their heads? Right? You always bring preconceived notions to theology. And they're doing that here saying, our experience has taught us this is unrealistic, therefore it is, it's unattainable, and I have a really, really, really difficult time with that. 
Because I live under the belief that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that if he sets an ideal in place in the early movement of the people of God in early Judaism about the year of Jubilee and a socioeconomic status that the church is supposed to adopt, right, above and beyond the the government they live under, right? They live a socioeconomic command of God in Deuteronomy that has its expression in the early church, right, then it's supposed to be true for us today. If God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, if generosity was supposed to be the experience of the, of the early movement of the people of God, but they weren't able to do it, then all of a sudden the people in Acts were able to do it. We have to ask ourselves this question, what's the difference? What's the difference? How come God knew they couldn't and then they did? One word. Pentecost. Pentecost. The coming of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that dwelled inside, that dwelt in Jesus and empowered him to live the life that he lived, to do the miracles that he did. They were, listen, Jesus moved in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Right? They were gifts because the Holy Spirit resided in him. He was able to do the things he did because the Holy Spirit indwelt him. Right? And all of a sudden, at Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, Jesus says, hey, listen, guys, I want you to wait for something. What are we waiting for, Jesus? Oh, you'll see. This will be good. This will get to my Holy Spirit. What's it going to do? Oh, you'll see. I'll just give you a little hint. You're going to be filled with power. And you're going to be my my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What's it going to be like? Oh, you'll see. It's going to be amazing. Right? Amazing. It's to die for. Get it? Jesus died so it could happen, right? It's to die for, right? This is an amazing moment, right? Amazing moment. Right there in the moment. All of a sudden, so they sit there and they wait. All of a sudden, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. And all of a sudden, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. The beautiful thing is, do you know when you give your life to Christ, you are filled with the Holy Spirit? You have your own Pentecost moment. To think other than that would be wrong. Each of you, when you give your life to Christ, you have a Pentecost with the Holy Spirit. He doesn't just sit out here, wait for you to have a charismatic moment. No, he waits for you. He all of a sudden says, boom, there you are. There's my heart. been waiting for it. Boom, right? Filled with the Holy Spirit. And the beautiful thing about them being a believer and a follower of Christ, Galatians says, hey, don't get drunk with wine or Ephesians, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Which basically means every day I can wake up to a new God. Not literally he's a new God, but it's a new part of God, a new expression of God. Why? Because he's inexhaustible. And every day I'm learning about him. Every day he's filling me afresh and anew. Why? Because it's the relationship that we have every day. Listen, I don't wake up to yesterday's Randall. Randall, every day, he's a new person. Our relationship is new every day, hopefully, right? We're waking up and having new conversations and new thoughts and new expressions of our life together every day. It's like a Pentecost every day with Randall, right? But every day I'm waking up to a Pentecost with the Holy Spirit of him again and again and again. Listen, every day I walk up on the altar, I crucify myself. Because I'm a living sacrifice. Every day it's a choice. Every day I wake up to Jesus. Every day I wake up to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, have your way in me today. Every day I'm waking up to a, listen, listen. Every day I'm waking up to a moment of being empowered by the Holy Spirit to flesh out Acts 2 through Acts 7. I'm not making much of myself. I am making much of the work of Jesus through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I'm simply trying to live up to the expectations that he had of fallen humanity now becoming a new creation empowered by his spirit. So basically all I'm telling you, all of that, what separated them? They didn't have the Holy Spirit, and now they do. It's the same Jesus, same Holy Spirit they had who resides in us. It's an ideal that God set that is attainable, but he doesn't change. And it's the same Holy Spirit that empowered the church of Acts. Listen, this should be getting you excited. So what that means for us is I believe the church today still has a responsibility naming the things from before. We still have to remember that God owns everything. 
Right. We still have to remember that God owns all our stuff. It's been lent to us for a moment in time, but it belongs to him forever. Therefore, we're responsible to do with it what he desires. What are we doing? He desires generous living through the power of the Holy Spirit. Second thing, and it means we have a responsibility because we're empowered by the spirit to ensure equality among God's people that we are about. We are a people of equal opportunity, not some political sense from a kingdom sense that we're recognizing the poor, the needy, recognize those who are broken, those who are hurting, and we're giving our life to them, not not doing an act of charity and patting them back and send them off. No, we're giving of ourselves. Do you see that in the, in the book of Acts? What did they do? The rich person came to the poor person, said, why don't you come to my house and we'll Acts 242 it. We'll break bread together. We'll fellowship together. We'll pray together. And we'll talk about the apostles' words together. Poor and needy and uber rich hanging out together. And sometimes, guess what? Even the rich would lead Seven Hills, my neighborhood, and they would go to the place of poverty and hang out because God's in both places. He's no respecter of persons. And we set, we go, and we share life together. Ensuring equality, coming alongside, helping people, right? Helping them thrive. The third thing is we have a responsibility then, empowered by the Spirit, right? To generous living, to, to prevent indebtedness and servitude. We come alongside of people, we help them find jobs, right? Help them find permanent uh, help. So they're moving out of poverty, moving out of helplessness. We're actually taking our time, our money, our time, our money, our energy, and our resources and making that happen for someone in need. Not coming alongside them, paying on the back, but coming alongside and working with them, helping them, speaking into their lives. How do we do all this? Well, we embrace a life of generosity. So there's a few things. There's actually a jillion things we can learn. I'm going to name three things that we can learn from the book of Acts this morning as it relates to this. This life of generosity, this jubilee gift, okay? Number one. Generous living is birthed out of Jesus. Generous living is birthed out of the movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Generous living has its birthplace in Jesus. Pentecost came, and the gift of the Holy Spirit was given, and the Holy Spirit began stirring in every believer, and the Holy Spirit moved them to generosity. They didn't hear a message, like a really powerful message like I'm giving you today. No, the Holy Spirit just came in and spoke, and they were moved. That's the thing I came to several about six months ago. And I was thinking about revival and thinking about God's Spirit moving. And I realized that when you read, whenever you read a real authentic move of God's Spirit, it was, there was no part of man that was able to make that happen. Man didn't do something. They didn't, you know. You can read all sorts of books. How do you? How does revival come? And you're like seriously, right? You're trying to give man a, a, a theory, right, of how to make this happen. No, the only way you make the only way you make the whole, make, make revival come, just wait for Jesus, right? Yeah, we love on Him, we're in relationship with Him, and then we wait, right? People say, well, you pray. No, you don't. You can't pray enough to make revival happen. That means it's put on your shoulders. Prayer doesn't bring revival. Jesus brings revival. You pray to get your heart right before the Lord, but prayer doesn't make God. You can't twist God's arm. Seriously, he's sovereign. You can't twist his arm. He responds because he loves. And he responds because he wants to bring glory to his name, right? So generous living, right, is birthed out of Jesus. It's a, it's a, it's a response. It's a movement. So what I realized about six months ago is that 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 I, we couldn't do anything at Vintage to make this happen. We were solely dependent on the movement of Jesus. Therefore, the greatest thing that I could do is say, Jesus, I can't, and that's all I can say. I can't. I can't. It's up to you. I distrust you. I'm pulling back. I'm going to be obedient, but I'm just going to trust, right? That's the idea. The disciples, they, they moved, right, in this moment. Generous, so say number two is generous, kind of connected. Generous living uh, is what birth revival. It's what birth revival. So here's the deal. Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, right? Comes down, right? On like fire, like tongues of fire on people. They begin speaking tongues, crazy times, right? Everyone has a gift, has a gift of interpretation. Here's them speaking, right? In their own language. And then all of a sudden, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and on, it says all of a sudden, people just began to sell their stuff and laid at the apostles' feet. Do you know what? They didn't ask him to. All of a sudden, one day, you know, Peter's sitting there, and someone comes running in with tears in their eyes and just throws that at their feet. 
Doesn't bow down and worship. That's stupid. He's a man, right? Throws it down at his feet and says, God told me to bring this. You know who's in need. Now give it away. And turns around, love you, and runs off, right? And all of a sudden, boom, 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 boom. All of a sudden, all these people and the apostles are going, what is going on? What are they doing? What are they doing? Revival had broken out in this moment, right? So I want you to look at Acts chapter 2. Go back. I want you to see this. When we talk about revival, right, that generous living birth revival, I'll say this. The text in Acts it repeatedly, repeatedly relates the transformed economic relationship in the Jerusalem church to their phenomenal evangelistic outreach. Basically, what it's saying is this. Because of the year of Jubilee being present in their midst, that is what drew thousands to Christ. It wasn't the miracles. It wasn't the signs and wonders. It wasn't the giving the gifts of the Holy Spirit being manifest in their midst. It was the life of generosity. Let's just look real quick at Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. And I want you to see this, okay? So over here we have the gifts of the Holy Spirit, work signs, and working of miracles. That's on over here, okay? Right here, that's the silo. And over here, right here, is just simply generous living. You know, I get a community doing life together. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, so here we go. They devoted themselves, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayer. We'll put that in the generous living pile, okay? Everyone was filled with awe, whether that was because so much love was being passed around, or because many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. So we're going to give verse 43 to signs and wonders over K and the miracles over here, okay? That's over here. Then all it says, um, all the believers were together and had everything in common. We'll put that verse over here in the generous living. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Put that over here in the generous living column. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad to see hearts. Generous living pile. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, right? Because there was so much love being passed around. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now. When we get in talking about revivals and all this kind of stuff, it's, it's not an either or, it's a both and, right? There's miracles and signs, all this kind of stuff happening. We praise God for that. But the thing that caused people to want to be a part of this incredible, crazy, persecuted movement was because there was so much authenticity of sacrificial, generous living going on between brother and sister, sister and sister, and brother and brother. There was so much generosity going on. There was so much generous living. There was so much love being expressed in the moment. Authentic, biblical love, like we've been talking, the sacrificial nature of it, right? Let me tell you this. If I walk into a church where everyone's speaking in tongues, prophets are being spoken, people's legs are growing, eyes are being opened, right? There's all this amazing stuff, but they don't care for one another. They don't care for the orphan and the widow, and they don't care for those that are in need. Guess what? I'm leaving. Do you know why? Because they haven't fully gotten to Jesus yet. Because signs and wonders are simply that. They're just signs pointing to a destination. Do you know who they're pointing to? They're pointing to Jesus. And if you keep on going and get to the destination, what do you find? You find generous living. You find generosity. You find Acts 2.42 through 47, Acts 4.32-37. You find this expression of people generously loving, giving their life away to one another. This is what God spoke very clearly. This is the part where I want you to go test this. This is what I heard God speak this week. And I never say that, right, at least on Sunday morning. But I want you to test this. And this idea of revival, God speaking and in, in, in into this moment. And I had this picture all of a sudden, this revival that's coming, right? This revival that's coming to the church. I believe God is pouring out a spirit upon the church in the end times. And that we will have our lives marked by signs and wonders as a church. God is going to do the move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and that'll be great. But we will know revival has come once we get to the destination of the fullness of revival, which is generous living, right? Because signs and wonders aren't the end. That's the old, listen, that's why revivals died. Because all of a sudden, crazy things started happening, right? Crazy things started happening. He was already even getting saved, quote unquote, right? But listen, signs and wonders and miracles are not enough. Salvations are not enough. 
A salvation is, I pat you in the back, good, you're glad you got saved, and send you on. And there's no authenticity of relationship, of sacrificially discipling them, and coming alongside of them in a holistic manner. The idea, what I'm getting at is this. True revival will have come into a movement, into the body of Christ, when signs and wonders are present, when people are giving their lives to Christ, being added to the number daily, and all of those people are experiencing generosity from one to the next, releasing them from debt, coming alongside and helping them to thrive in life, creating an equal opportunity from the haves and the have-nots, and all of a sudden, boom, thousands will again be added to their number daily. Why? Not because of signs and wonders and all this powerful stuff, but simply because we are loving them well, coming alongside of them, inviting into our homes, and doing dinner with them, breaking up in the Word of God together, and laying hands on them, praying for them, and helping them as they walk out the door, and then calling them the next day. Old wineskin was every revival we've known. New wineskin is something that new that God is doing and taking the best of this and adding it to this. All of the stuff, salvation, signs and wonders, all these things will be accompanying it. And we will know we all arrived when all of a sudden there's generous living that people think defines us. Probably the clearest, one of the clearest expressions of this revival in modern times would be John Wesley and the salvation and the spreading of the gospel over the entire island of England. It's a pretty big island. Entire island. It says it's, it, the history books tell us that, that John Wesley got tired of Anglican world, which was inside the four walls. He left and went and preached among the poor, giving them, helping them, coming alongside of them, helping the poor. He said, he read, read a story sometime, helping the needy, right? At one point in time, he said, listen, and I, I'm going to butcher this again like I did the 9 o'clock service. But he said, listen, he said, he said, if I die and you find any excess in my house, then please call me a liar. Because what he said once upon a time is, all I will live off of is necessities. I will have a house. I will have my clothes. I will have my, I will have my furniture. I can, my bed. I can lie on. I'll have the books that I need for study. I have all my necessities of life, right? I think I need for education. All of these things, but nothing else will I have in my house. And when he died, they went to his house. You know what they found in his house? Everything he needed for necessities of life and some family heirlooms of forks that somebody had passed down to him and nothing else. Money that he made every year in our Amounts would be well into two or three million dollars a year that he made every year. And history books tell us literally that the gospel went from north to south, east and west. An unbelievable outpouring of God's Spirit through John Wesley, through his good reform buddy George Whitfield, all coming in and sharing the gospel and doing life together, living generously. Revival, we know it will be here when generosity happens. And I'm going to say this to you, and you're going to wrestle with this one. You will know the Spirit of God is freely moving in you when your life becomes marked by generosity. It's a movement of the Spirit, and generous living will define you if that's what we're looking for. Generosity defining you, because if you are a Christ follower, then generosity will follow you everywhere that you go. The third thing, I want you to hear this one. This is a beautiful one. Generous living was natural. It's a natural outgrowth. It was natural. It was not compulsory. It was natural and not compulsory. As in, he didn't have somebody preaching the message like I'm doing, make you feel guilty for not being generous, <laughs> right? No, literally, it was this this natural part of who they were, the early church. Listen, the early church, the apostles, and the apostles never stood up and demanded and insisted on economic equality, nor did they ever abolish private property ownership. They didn't do that. Peter's mother-in-law still had a house, y'all, right? She had her private property. She had her house she lived in. She didn't push what led, but this, there's a natural movement in the hearts of people. We see it in the story of Ananias. Read that one sometime. It's pretty sobering. Acts chapter 5, verse 4. Peter comes to Ananias and says that he was under no compulsion whatsoever to sell his property. He said, listen, you could have sold your property and, and brought half of it like you have. It would be okay, but you're saying you're bringing the whole thing from your sale. And because of that, you're lying to the Holy Spirit. And now you're going to die. And he dropped dead. Wrestle with that sometime. Talk about the power of a living God doesn't like sin. I'm just saying, right? That should be sobering. 
When he comes in the moment and says, it was a natural, natural response, not compulsory. Listen, how many of you been in churches where money has literally been manipulated out of you because you will get some return at the end of time, right? That's just garbage. There's no compulsion here, right? There's no compulsion. It's just simply a natural response of those who have the Holy Spirit at Pentecost every day coming into them, flowing from them with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Those things mark their life. Listen, those types of people, they love to give. The people are full of joy, right? Full of peace. And like, yeah, man, I've got $5, but God will provide my needs. Go ahead and take it. Man, God loves you. You're like, you're weird, but okay, thanks, right? No, this whole idea, right? These people who literally are so near to the living God, they live in trust and faith that he will provide, knowing that he loves them, he's for them, not against them, right? Because we're faithfully giving, living in the sacrifice. Oh, it's so good, y'all. Generous living was not, it was, it was natural, not compulsory, right? Sharing was voluntary. But in the season, the Holy Spirit was being poured out. Listen, this is the thing. In this season, and this is what I want you to hear. In this season, the Holy Spirit being poured out. Love for one another was so profound that they were, through the Holy Spirit, compelled to give. You know Jesus is in you and the Holy Spirit's flowing when you cannot wait to pull your checkbook out to hand a check to someone and then ask them if you can come to their house and do dinner with them and lay hands on them and pray for them and open the Bible together and talk about how much God loves them in the fullness of what salvation means in the fullest sense of the term. I was telling this story. I wish I had the book up here. There's a book called Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger by Ron Sider. And then things like chapter 15, it starts out, there's this great story, this guy who, who came in, he was he on the streets and he came and he said, can I get a bus ticket? He looks at him and, and begins to share the gospel with him. And, and, and about come, by knowing Christ. And the guy, and the guy said, I just want a bus ticket. And he's like, all right, hands him a bus ticket. He's walking out the door. He says, you know, thank you for making that easy for me. It's like, what do you mean? He's looking to turn around. He's like, you know, if you, be, if, you be, if you become a follower of Christ, then you become a brother of mine. And as my brother, then everything that I have would belong to you, including my house and my car in my checking account, everything that I have would have automatically belonged to you. But you know, all you want is a bus ticket. I'll see you. He turned around and walk off. Next Sunday, the guy was at church. He was so undone. That's the reality of a Christ follower, is I have a responsibility with the things that I have. They don't belong to me. I can't ultimately make decisions about them. Ultimately, Jesus makes decisions. We don't like this, right? You like your freedom, right? You like your freedom and your rights. You don't have any, you have rights in America. You don't have any rights in the kingdom of God. Your rights are what God tells you they are with the ownership that you have of his stuff that he possesses and ultimately gives you permission to use and to use well to bring people up from this place to this place. That, my friends, is generous living. And when that place comes, we will be in revival. So with, it all, with all that said, with all that said, make it, I'll make it clear and concise in this last paragraph. If you fell asleep earlier, just listen to this. Here we go. I'm going to read it. The coming revival, or the coming movement of God, that God dreams and imagines. And you know anything that God dreams and imagines comes true, right? The coming revival that God dreams and imagines for his church will look like it did in the early church. Signs and wonders, the gifts of the Holy Spirit will be present, but they won't be the focus. The focus and the test, if it is truly revival, will be if people are living generously as a lifestyle, right? A natural lifestyle without compulsion, but moved wholly and completely by love for one another, love for God, and love for neighbor. The year of Jubilee, it was not a pipe dream of God for or for God's people, right? It is, and it always has been, his expectation, and it's the very thing he is moving his people towards. Amen. So I encourage you this week, do not sit on this. If you think I'm wrong, tell me why. Figure it out. Figure it out. Don't just tell me you think I'm wrong. That's rubbish. You tell me, you go study, you read and tell me where I've gotten it wrong. I think the only way I can be wrong is I haven't gone extreme enough. You figure it out. Please dive into Jesus. Listen to him and learn about this. 
This, my friends, is what the American gospel has totally cut out of itself. And that's why we bought into Christmas and why we love the fat, jolly man in the red suit. Do something about it. So here are five quick things I'm going to put them on the screen that I want you to do this week. Kind of, you can, if everything that you're reading, I'm giving you lots of homework, right? Put all five of those on the screen for me, Maddie. I'm just going to read through them real quick. So here's some things I want you to do. Number one, ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit every day. Holy Spirit, come and fill me. Every day, renew me. Whatever the phraseology you want to use that makes you feel most comfortable, right? New, be new to me, Jesus, every day. You're new to me every day. Number two, ask for grace to love like he does, right? Ask for his ability. God, would you awaken this natural response, this natural response of love? God, would you give me this type of love that I'm so compelled by love for brother and sister, right? God, move in me. Number three, expect to die to yourself, right? It's, it's self that hoards. That's why God said, I know how human beings work. Every seven years, you need a good, you need a good cleansing, right? Get a good cleansing. Just a good jubilee. Right? A good jubilee. Coming in, right? Just expect to die to that stuff. Expect to die to yourself. Expect to move towards generosity and begin moving towards generosity. Expect and then begin moving towards generosity. We've talked before, right? We take a step of obedience. The Holy Spirit comes and then empowers that step. Begin a, like, Say, Jesus, I want to move into generosity. I see this over here, and I'm going to step into the generosity. Would you empower then that step and the next one and the next one and the next one, right? Moving into a life of generosity. Number five, expect to be blown, sorry, expect to be blown away by God's goodness, joy, and favor in your life. Expect to be blown away by God's goodness, God's joy, God's favor in your life. Let me tell you something. Why do I put that down? Because I'm reading between the lines for the book of Acts. Do you not think that it was the most fulfilling time of their life? Do you not think that it was the most gratifying feeling and emotion they've ever had in their life? Do you not think that their gatherings were not just full of excitement and a passion Almost say, man, I'm going to get competitive and see if I can outgive, right? I mean, how exciting would that be? Not give, not, listen, I've been in churches where they're like, oh, let's not give one another, like trying to work up an emotion. How silly is that? That's just, that's just sin. I'm trying to play the Holy Spirit. No, when I get somewhere and the Holy Spirit just starts to move and you're like, I just can't wait to give. I just, I just, oh, right? We're running, not, not doing it some like just haphazardly way. No, it's a, it's, an, it's a way of obedience birthed out of passion and zeal. Jesus says, you know, said, zeal for God's house will consume Jesus. His house is his people. Now, with zeal for God's people consume us. Number five, I already said that. Expect to be blown away. All right, there you go. So here's what we're doing. I told you I was going to talk for a long time. I am officially done now. I'm giving you, I'm giving you, um, I'm going to move in now just to what next week's going to look like. Next week is our year-end offering, okay? Simply asking this week, just pray. Just pray. What would God have you give? No compulsory. I'm not going to give you numbers. I'm not going to give you a, I'm not going to give you a gold, silver standard, gold standard, platinum standard with your name on a plaque somewhere. That's just dumb, right? What I'm going to tell you is this. I want you to go and pray as a couple or as an individual. And God, what would you have us give? I would encourage you couples, pray separately and then come together. And I bet you have the same number or really close. It's always fun to do that, right? And then always err on the side who has the most faith. Okay, I'm just kidding. So anyway, but seriously, that was compulsion. That was compulsion. I'm kidding. That was me. That was Steve. Okay, I pulled that one back. Right? So anyway, get together and pray individually. Come up with a number. Come together on Thursday. Write the number sheet of paper and go on three. One, two, three. Bam! Right? And see what the number is. Now, some of you are like, oh, my gosh, we're so far off. Some of you are like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing, right? Don't worry. If it's different, God still loves you, okay? It's just, but then you can talk through that, have a great, healthy conversation together, okay? Kind of work through how you got there, and all of a sudden you may go, oh, that makes sense. We did that. We had a very similar number, but I, we talked through it. It's like, oh, brought great clarity last year for us in the gift that we gave, right? I was right. Anyway, so, number, so, so next week, I'm just kidding. I don't know. I forget the number was actually. So next week, come, write that check out, for the, just write that, write that out, okay? Just in obedience to the Lord, whatever God calls you to do, that's all I'm asking, okay? Outside on that table right there on the left, you go in the front door, there is a sheet of paper, okay? That sheet of paper is for you to fill out for those of you who have real and authentic needs, okay? And you know what I'm talking about. 
If that's you, I simply want you to, on your way out, get one or for someone that you know who's not here this morning, okay? It's also, also in the newsletter. You can just print it out. It's a link. You can print it out from the newsletter, okay? So either in the newsletter or right out there, take one of those sheets, okay? Here's all, here's all I'm saying. I'm not going to put a whole bunch of parameters on this. If you are at a place where you have real and authentic needs, that's between you and Jesus, okay? Then write those down. Listen, and don't, and don't just like try to shortchange yourself. Well, I'm not really sure. I mean, no, if, you've, if you're experiencing things, you're overwhelmed, whatever it may be, real and authentic needs, right? If you want to buy a brand new car because you just want a new car, that's not a real authentic need, right? But if you're at a place saying we're struggling, or, or better yet, you've been praying. That's how you know it's an authentic need. God, I feel overwhelmed. I'm praying about it. This is where I am, Jesus. But I want you to, I want you to fill that, that sheet out, okay? Fill it out. Put that on there. If you don't feel, and I encourage you, definitely pray. If you're not real sure about your need, well, go to the Lord. Say, God, is this a, is this a need you're comfortable with me bringing to vintage? And if you're still not comfortable, then find somebody. And I love this one. This is really from the Lord when I came up with this one. Go to somebody that you trust and that you know. And you can just sit down in a community with and say, hey, will you help me process this? That's powerful because you know what they're going to say? Oh, my gosh, yes. And do more. All right? Do that. Okay? Now, another question, how much money are we going to give? We have no idea. You know why? Because you haven't given yet. We don't know how much money is going to be out there, okay? I'd love to say, we're going to give a million dollars. We're not going to get that much money, probably. So, so I don't know how much we're going to give, but what we're going to do is this, right? We have decided, and this is pretty cool, we decided as a leadership team on uh, this, this past week that every single dime in our benevolence fund immediately is zeroing out and going to this, okay? So everything benevolent, so it's at least $6,000, is automatically right now going to the, to the Jubilee Fund, okay? So here's what we're going to do. You're going to fill that sheet out. You're going to bring the bills or whatever it is, right? You're going to bring those bills. And, and in that, bringing those bills, we're going to take those as a leadership team and as a finance team, and we're going to look at those, we're going to pray over through them, and we're going to pay what we can pay. Okay? We're going to pay what we can pay. And we'll get in touch with you sometime this week. I'm not sure that that's going to work, but we'll get in touch with you and make sure we have your info on there so we, so we know how to get in touch with you. And then we're going to write directly to those, those places, okay? We're not going to give you money directly. We're not going to give you money directly. We're going to give money directly to whatever we're paying, whatever bill we're paying for you. I would say this. This is one caveat. If you have, like, something huge you had to put onto a credit card bill, right, we'll, and, and, but you can't really give us the bill for the specific thing, just bring that credit card bill, highlight it on there how much it is, and we'll put that money towards the credit card bill. Okay? Does that make sense? If there's going to be more information this week, I'm going to shoot a little, a little video out to you this week, kind of me talking, kind of defining some more things. I'm going to do that. Okay, and then I'm going to have the, um, you can call up the church and we can answer questions for you. So next week, you're going to come bringing your check. And what we're going to do is this. We're going to have some baskets up here. I'm just giving you a heads up for those of you like my wife who like to have everything figured out in advance. Okay, we're going to have the baskets up here. Okay, and then you're going to come. You're going to bring your offering and you're going to bring that sheet. You may bring both. Okay, you're like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to bring that sheet forward. Please, we're family. Part of this, part of this one is dying to self, okay? Dying to that pride, okay? Just come forward and you're like, someone's going to go, oh my gosh. And then you can actually have a moment where they can come alongside of you. That's the idea. Everyone knew everyone had need. That's Acts 2.42, all right? Everyone knew who everyone's needs were. Why? Because they're in a relationship together. All right, fantastic. So you're going to come and do that and we'll write those checks out. It'll be fantastic. Come alongside and bless you, okay? All right. I know I said a lot. Go back and listen to the podcast. Okay? If you took notes, go back and read that. Read the scriptures this week. Allow God to speak to you. Listen, Jubilee, it was about giving and it was about receiving. We have to be really good at both. Let's pray. Father.